A Night in the Lonesome October, October 24th. When the wards were removed yesterday evening, they showed that Nightwind had been by at dusk, trying to peer in, also Cheater, and a huge, lean, wolfish-looking creature. And the things were all still held by their restraints, though struggling enthusiastically. I was feeling a little worse for my usage, but I forced a spring into my step and went and strolled past the church. Tekela was perched atop it, and she stirred and studied me as I went by, but we exchanged no words. As soon as I was past, though, I glanced back and saw that she was gone. Good. I went home and slept. This morning I learned from Larry that Mrs. Enderby had run off to town as soon as word of Rastov's death became current. Later in the day, the great detective had shown up to view the remains and the premises. I brought Larry up to date on everything that had happened after I'd left him, and he assured me that he had not been by the house last night. He told me that he intended to rescue Lynette, but that she was safe enough for now. If he freed her too early, there would be pursuit, both physical and non-physical. Now the power was rising strongly. And more importantly, there would be time for the vicar to make other plans, jeopardizing some unknown innocent. The timing, he said, would be very important. Weakening the vicar this way, he decided, could well be his main part in things. I told him that I'd help any way I could. I rested a lot afterwards and visited with Greymalk. It began to rain late that night, a steady drizzle. Jack was in his laboratory, distilling essences or something like that. I had spoken with him last night, of course, between midnight and one, keeping him current on all particulars of my adventures. Isn't your association with Jill a little awkward this far along in the game? I'd said, near to one o'clock. Strictly professional, he had replied. Besides, she's a good cook. And what about you and the cat? We get along well, I'd said. Any chance of your getting Jill to change her mind about opening? I don't think so, he'd answered. She's not making you think about switching, I hope. Of course not. Well, if I may speak freely, the clock struck one, and I couldn't. I watched the darkened windows flood for a while, made my rounds, and slept some more. When all hell breaks loose in our vicinity, it does with style. I was awakened by an enormous thunderclap, sounding as if it had occurred just overhead, and the brightness of the lightning stroke had been visible through my closed eyelids. Suddenly, I was on my feet in the front hall, not certain how I had gotten there. Along with the echoes of the crash, however, my mind held memory of the sound of breaking glass. The mirror had shattered. The things were slithering out. I began barking immediately. I heard an exclamation from the room where Jack worked, followed by the sound of some instrument or book being dropped. Then the door opened and he was hurrying toward me. When he saw the slitherers, he called to me, Stuff! Find a container! And he returned to the laboratory where I heard a cabinet opened. I looked about. I raced into the parlor, slitherers spreading like a slow tidal wave at my back. Upstairs, the thing in the steamer trunk began beating upon its confines with frantic exertion. I heard wood splinter as it struck, and there were rattles from the attic. Another flash created a moment of yellow day beyond the windows, and the thunderclap that came with it shook the house. There was nothing in the parlor in the way of a mirror, but on a side table near the door stood a partly full, partly empty, bottle of port wine, of the ruby variety. Recalling that this species casts a spell within the bottle, 
I reared and pushed it off the table with my paw so that it fell upon a rug rather than the floor's wood. It did not shatter, and its cork remained in place. There came another flash and another crash. The things upstairs continued their noisy activity, with indication that at least the inhabitant of the steamer trunk had gotten free. A glance hallward showed me the steady, continuous exodus of the things from the mirror. I heard Jack's footfalls. An uncanny glow began to fill the room and the hall, and it did not seem entirely attributable to the internal incandescence of the slitherers. Rolling the bottle hallward, I saw Jack standing at the hall's end, a wand in his hand. It was the no-nonsense wand he had used to transfer the slitherers from mirror to mirror earlier, and not the powerful game artifact, the closing wand, which was also in his possession. While he is master of the knife, or vice versa, the knife is not technically a game tool, though it may be used as a part of the game. The knife is the embodiment of his curse, as well as a special source of power. He saw me, and he saw the bottle at the same time that I saw him. Jack raised the wand and used it to part the flowing mass which separated us. Then he came forward and it slithered closed behind him as he advanced. Coming up beside me, he picked up the bottle then, held it in his left hand, and uncorked it with his teeth. There came another thunder roll and the eerie lightning assumed a definite greenish cast, giving Jack a corpse-like appearance. There was a scrambling sound overhead and the yellow-eyed thing from the steamer trunk bounded down the stair, cracking the banister as it came. Deal with it, snuff, Jack cried. I can't. And he turned his attention and his wand upon the things from the mirror, compelling the nearest to enter the bottle. I gathered myself and sprang across the flow of slitherers, moving to the foot of the stair, my lips curled back and hair bristling as the thing came down. Too bad its neck was so short. I knew I was going to have to tear out its throat. The green light hung about it, and the rain sounded like thrown gravel against the roof and windows. The thing spread its arms, ending in a very nasty talon, very wide, and I knew that I had to move immediately, in and out, and accomplish it in a matter of seconds if I were to emerge relatively unscathed, which I would need to be to help deal with the sequel, which even now I could hear scrambling down the attic stair. The lightning flashed again. I roared to the accompaniment of thunder as I launched myself at an awkward angle. I struck the wall on my way down, for the thing's arm struck me after my jaws had closed like a trap and I'd applied torque with my entire body, crunching and tearing away at its gullet before I let go, let go to drop back. It was the arm and not the talons that connected with me, with me, though. I dropped momentarily senseless to the floor, a terrible taste in my mouth, as the thing from the attic came into sight at the head of the stair and commenced its descent. Seeing the theme from the steamer trunk reeling and clutching at its throat, dripping streaming juices, the thing from the attic slowed for a moment, regarding the carnage. Then it rushed downward. I pulled myself to my feet, preparing to face it as I th it thrust the reeling one aside and came on. Instead, though, the dying one seemed to take its descent as another attack, swung toward it, and raked it with its talons. The thing from the attic seized it, snarling and bit at its twisted face. At my back, I could hear Jack moving about, bottling slitherers. A moment later, the banister gave way, and the pair on the stair were in the air. Lightning flashed again, and again, and again, thunder coming and staying, becoming its steady accompaniment, and yet more flashes walked through the sky, entered at the windows, fluoresced the ubiquitous green to an eye-piercing intensity. The sounds of the rain were submerged. The house began to shudder and creak, 
Copies of the Strand magazine fluttered floor, floorward from the mantel. Pictures fell from the walls, sets of Dickens and Surtees from their shelves, vases, candelabra, glasses, and trays slid from tables. Plaster descended like snow from the ceiling. Prince Albert stared at the blizzard through cracked glass. Martin Farker Tupper lay atop Elizabeth Barrett Browning, their covers torn. When the thing from the attic rose, shaking its head, rolling its eyes, casting wild glances about, the other lay still upon the floor, steam still rising from its scaly throat, head twisted to its left. I seemed to hear Growler, prompting me to try for the throat again. I slashed forward, attempting to repeat my earlier move. I missed my target as it drew back, attempting belatedly to grapple me to it. My impact staggered it, however, and I slashed its left shoulder as I fell. Immediately, as I secured my footing, I seized its right leg above the ankle and ground down for a bone cruncher of a bite. It recovered quickly and kicked me with the other foot. I hung on for another second's damage before releasing it and scrambling away, able to ride with the second kick. One, I figured I could take and trade for something that would slow its movements, but I lacked the bulldog's sensibility as well as the physique. The lightning and thunder had continued steadily the entire while, the thunder now having achieved the state of a continuous roaring, as of a tornado singing its deep-throated song about the house, and the intensity of the light had us moving through a tableau of green and black, where tiny sparks now danced upon the surfaces of everything metallic, and all of my hair was on end for reasons other than the stimulus of combat. It was obvious now this was no normal storm, but a manifestation of magical attack. I tried for the thing's other ankle and missed. Turning, I slashed at the arm which swung at me. I missed that too, but it missed me also. I darted away, growling, roared, and fainted to its right. It put, it put weight on the injured ankle to reach after me and went off balance, struggled to recover. I was behind it immediately, passing on that side and worrying the ankle again from the rear. It bellowed then as it tried to reach me, but I hung on until finally it cast itself over backwards in an attempt to fall upon and crush me. I relaxed my hold and tried to move away as it did so, but a flailing arm struck me on the head, knocking me to the floor, doubling my vision. Therefore, it was two jacks that I saw, wielding two blades, piercing two monsters' throats. Even as I crawled out from beneath the attic, things outflung arm, the basement door crashed open, and in several quick bounds, the thing from the circle was upon me. Now, hound, I eat you, it said. I shook my head, trying to clear it. Snuff, get back, Jack told me, running toward it. Zip! The starlight danced upon the blade in his hand, and I needed no further persuasion. I crawled toward the farther end of the now slitherless hall, passing a corked bottle of port and spirits as I went. Pieces of mirror gave back green dogs with jagged edges. Zip! I watched as Jack finished his business, ready in case he required assistance, grateful that he did not. Plaster continued to rain down. Everything loose was on the floor. The thunder and the light and the house's shuddering had almost become a part of the environment. I suppose that if you lived with it long enough, there might come a time when you stopped noticing. I did not really want to wait and see. As I watched the thing from the circle finally fall, following a masterful upstroke, I turned my stronger emotions toward the perpetrator of the onslaught which had caused their release. It was more than merely annoying having had to put up with them all these weeks and then to lose them this way before they could fulfill their function. 
Under the proper constraints, they had been intended as the bodyguard for a retreat, should one be necessary, following the events of the final night, after which they would have held, had their freedom in some isolated locale, obtaining the opportunity to add to the world's folklore of a darker nature. Now ruined the buffer plan. They weren't essential, but they might have proved useful should we have to exit pursued by furies. When the business was done, Jack traced pentagrams with his blade, calling upon the powers that would cleanse the place. With the first one, the green glow faded. With the second, the house stopped its shuddering. With the third, the thunder and lightning went away. With the fourth, the rain ceased. Good show, Snuff, he said then. There came a knocking on the back door. We both headed in that direction, the blade vanishing and Jack's hair and clothing getting rearranged along the way. He opened the door. Jill and Greymock stood before us. Are you all right? Jill asked. Jack smiled, nodded, and stepped aside. Won't you come in? He said. They did, though not before I'd noted that it seemed perfectly dry outside. I'll invite you into the parlor, Jack said. If you don't mind stepping over a few dismembered ogres. Never did before, the lady answered, and he led her in that direction. The parlor floor was full of what had been on the shelves, the tables, the mantelpiece, and everything was powdered with plaster. Jack raised the sofa cushions one by one, punching each and turning it upside down before replacing it. She took the seat he offered her, which afforded a view of the broken mirror and slashed demonic carcasses sprawled in the hall. The clock chimed, 11.45. I'll have to offer you sherry, Jack said. The port's gone bad. Sherry will be fine. He repaired to the cabinet, fetching back two glasses and a bottle. After he had poured a pair and given her one, he raised the other and looked at her over it. What prompts you a visit? he asked. I hadn't seen you in over an hour, she replied, taking a small sip of sherry. That is true, he answered, sipping his own, but it is often that way with us, every day in fact. Still, I refer to your house as well as your person. I heard a small sound earlier, as of the tinkling of a crystal bell, from this direction. When I looked this way, I saw nothing but a well of impenetrable, impenetrable darkness. Ah, your crystal bell effect, he mused. Haven't seen that one since Alexandria. So you didn't hear any thunder or see any lightning? Not at all. Not badly done then, though I hate to admit it, he said, taking another sip. Was it the vicar? I guess. Most likely still a little irritated with snuff here. Perhaps you should have a few words with him. I don't believe in giving warnings, but I give anybody two attempts on us to discover their folly. If they do not, and they try a third time, I kill them. That's all. He sent those creatures after you? She gestured toward the hall. No, he replied, though they were my own. They got loose during the attack. It must have involved a general manumission spell. Pity. I had better use for the fellows than this. She set down her glass, rose, visited the hall, and inspected them. She returned a little later. Impressive, she said. What they are and what they got done to them. She seated herself again. What I'm wondering most, though, is what you're going to do with them now. Hmm, he said, toying with his glass. It's rather far to the river. I nodded vigorously. I suppose I could just 
stow them in the basement, throw a piece of canvas over them or something like that. They might start to smell pretty bad. They already smell pretty bad. True, but it would be awkward if they were discovered on the premises. And when they start to decompose, it might lead someone official this way. Conceded, I suppose. I could just dig a big hole somewhere and bury them. You wouldn't want to do it around here and look too husky to lug far. You've a point there. Have you any ideas? No, she said, sipping her sherry. I barked once and they looked at me. I glanced at the clock. It was approaching midnight. I think Snuff has a suggestion, she said. I nodded. He'll have to wait a few minutes. I can't, Greymalk said to me suddenly. Cats are that way, I replied. What do you want to do with them? I say we take them over to Owen's place and stuff them into some of his wicker baskets. Then we haul them up into the big oak tree, set fire to them, and run like hell. Snuff, that's grotesque. Glad you like it too, I said. And it makes for a great Halloween gag, even if it is a little early. The clock struck twelve. The humans bought my idea, and we went out to do it. And ah, my foes, and oh, my friends, they gave a lovely light. Dickery, dickery, dock.